Well, good morning. How are all the V-lifers today? Doing good? Awesome. I'm glad to see everybody here. This is what we call the A team. You know, on holiday weekends, the B team goes out of town. The A team stays here. So we appreciate everyone showing up that's here today. Uh, We are in week five of this teaching series. We've been through the last couple of weeks, um, going through our core values, really what the founding of our church is, our ministry is, and, and really how we, as we were beginning to vision cast of what Vertical Life Church, what we wanted it to be, we began looking in the scriptures to see what God intended for his church to be. And so as we looked through the scriptures, we really saw six core values that were, um, that were indicative of that early church. And though we're 2,000 years removed, well, what we're trying to do is extrapolate those values and incorporate them into each and every one of our personal faith journey. So as we live these values, we can then give glory to God. For those of you that are new today, you might think, why are they called Vertical Life Church? Well, that's why. We want to live our lives vertically in view of our personal relationship with God and giving God glory with all that we are. Uh, the first week we talked about the core value of wholehearted worship and giving God glory with all we are with our whole lives. The second week we talked about unyielding truth and the importance of the Word of God. Week three we talked about unceasing prayer and the power of God's people coming together to pray. Last week we talked about unrelenting witness and how it's our duty as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, to be witnesses for the Lord to tell people about what He's done for us. And in this week, we're talking about our core value of intentional community. Intentional community. Now, the word intentional and I have kind of not seen eye to eye for a a large portion of my life. Um, The word intentional and I have kind of have this love-hate relationship because the word intentional means you do things on purpose or with a purpose. That means with intentionality or intentional, that means you have to put effort into what you're doing, which means being lazy and procrastination don't really fit into that scheme. And that's kind of been my struggle as being kind of a procrastinator in my life. But I'm slowly, as as God wills, growing out of that. I believe the, the older I get, the more mature I get, the less procrastinating I see, which is a good thing. That means I get yelled at less at home, which is awesome, you know, for me, for me. <clears throat> Uh, but uh, uh, the word intentional, again, Im- implies effort. And uh, not only am I growing with procrastination and things like that, I'm growing in intentionality, which means doing things on purpose, especially as it pertains to community. Uh, the word community, according to Google, is defined as a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Again, Community means a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Now, for an extrovert, like there's two really two kinds of people in the world. There's extroverts and introverts. For an extrovert, community is the best thing ever. It is the best thing. Some, some call uh, this, uh, we're talking about community, as peopling. Have you ever heard about that? Some people wake up and they're like, man, I really don't want to people today. Have you ever felt like that? 
right? Well, extroverts, they love to people. Matter of fact, I heard extroverts and introverts one time compared to batteries. If you know anything about this, this personality style, really extroverts as a battery, they get their batteries charged up whenever they're around people. They like to people. Whenever they're home by themselves, they become stir crazy and they're like, man, I don't know what to do with myself. I just need to get around people. I need to socialize. I need to get, get, be encouraged by others. And so they like to spend time around people doing things with other people, even if it's not really deep. It could be very surface level. They get exhausted or their batteries exhaust whenever they are alone. They're uncomfortable with the silence because it drains them. Introverts are the exact opposite. Peopling wears them out. They can force themselves to people. I mean, you have to get up. You have to go to a job. You have to communicate. You know, if you come to church, you have to interact with other people. So you can force yourself to people, but soon an introvert will become exhausted to the point that if they continue to people, either they're going to explode or they're going to pass out. It's just going to be one of these things. It's like, I can't people any longer. I've got to get home. I've got to go alone. And so introverts typically retreat because they recharge from being alone. And sometimes they, that feeling of being alone is so good that they become reclusive and it's very difficult to connect with them. They're, they're kind of the ones that buy the property 50 miles from civilization and they're like, give me a shotgun and a shovel and I'm good to go. You know, they just want to be out in the middle of nowhere. Don't bother me. Don't knock on my door. You know, introverts tend to like that solidarity. And so it's hard for introverts to people. And I relate with that because I am an introvert. And so it, it can be difficult sometimes to always be on and always be out and about. But as I read scripture and I look at the life of Christ, I believe Jesus was an introvert. And you think about, well, how could he mean people are always around him, all that he's super popular? It's true. But after a period of time, Jesus would have to separate himself and go be alone. And it was through that alone time that his batteries were recharged so he could continue to go on and do ministry. He even had to separate himself from his closest friends. There are times when he would ditch his friends and send them in a boat. He's like, if they get out on the water, they cannot talk to me. Go, you know? And there's a time where they were in the boat and the storm came and they're all about to die because the storm was horrible and Jesus is walking on the water. Remember that story? Well, in the Luke's account, I believe it says Jesus was going to pass him on by. He wasn't even going to stop. But, you know, they began calling out to them. And so he's like, had a heart. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll go bail him out, you know? So, you know, he really uh, loved his alone time, that connection time with God. But see, each of us, no matter if we're extroverts or introverts, each one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, you have been placed in a spiritual family called the church. You've been placed in the church. And part of being in this community of faith is peopling. That's part about it. It's being together and doing life together. Now, when the early church met, the very first church, Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit descends on the disciples. Peter gets up and preaches probably one of the most epic messages of all time. Over 3,000 people, around 3,000 people come to Christ in one message. I mean, how awesome would that be? You, you just walk out into a crowd like downtown Times Square when the crowd of people, you stand up just declaring the word of God, and all of a sudden you're baptizing 3,000 people. That would just be amazing. And this is what happened. And shortly after that event, they, they formed a community. They began to meet together. And here's what it records, the Bible records, about the early church in those formative years. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, it says this. It says, those who believed what Peter said 
were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Introverts, don't get scared. But think about that verse. They sold all their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Verse 47. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Wow. In this new community, we see intentionality. Because each believer, not just some of the group, but every one of the group, devoted themselves to the very same cause. They devoted themselves. And in this community, we see the believers devote themselves to the teaching, to fellowship, including the sharing of meals and the Lord's Supper. They intentionally committed themselves to these things. And the important word I want to focus on in this passage is the word fellowship. We, we kind of use that in church speak. If you've uh, grown up in church any length of time, oftentimes when the church gets together, we say that was a great time of what? Fellowship. Or we're going to have a fellowship after church. We kind of throw this word around. But Google defines this word, the Google Dictionary, fellowship as an association, a community, communion, joint participation. Like when we say fellowship, we talk about a time to hang out, but the word actually has a little different meaning. Fellowship can essentially be summed up by saying it's mutual contribution. Everyone is participating. That's what fellowship is. It's not that some provide the food and some show up to eat it. It's everyone participates. Some cook, some clean, everybody eats. No one's left out because everyone is engaged in the process. The concept of, of fellowship was so entrenched in the church and this idea of equal contribution that Paul the Apostle wrote to the church of Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Here's what he says. He says, Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not eat. Those unwilling to participate, those unwilling to get involved, to get engaged, will not eat. Right? It was so vital to them that everyone played apart. And I believe it's because Christian love, the love we're talked about and Jesus commanded us to live out in our lives, Christian love is most evidently displayed through our service to one another, our sacrificial service. It's the self-sacrificing love that binds us together. And this was so evident in the lives that we see in this early church. We see them do some pretty amazing things. Number one, it says they met together in one place and shared everything they had. It's like they got together for a swap meet between 3,000 people, and it's like, hey, hey, whatever you want, just take it. Come together. You know, it, it's yours. We also see, number two, they sold their property and possessions to take care of the needs of others. They actually moved in together. I mean, how crazy is that in our culture and in our day? Would any of you be willing to sell your property in your home and go move in with somebody else in the church? You know, I mean, just think about what they were doing. They did this freely out of their own uh, uh, hearts. It says they prioritized worshiping together every day at the temple. Think about it. Church every day. I mean, we struggle with just making it on Sundays, right? Fitting that in. But think about church 
every day getting together to worship. And those that stayed in their homes, it says they invited people over. They met in each other's homes to observe the Lord's Supper and to eat together. This is what they were doing. This was their community. This is how they devoted themselves to one another. And when we look at our lives and how we view our blessings and, and the things God has given us, do we see our stuff as our stuff or do we see our stuff as God's stuff? Everything from our possessions to our time to our comfort. I mean, could we, as a church, in this day and in this age, adopt the concept that if God needs what I have, I'd be willing to let it go for the sake of other people, for his honor and glory. If he asked me right now, in this moment, sell all you have and give it to the poor, he's done it before. If he were to ask you right now to do that, would it be his? Could we make that decision? Am I so surrendered to God that if he asked me to sell all of my stuff and give it to the church to meet needs, where my family would have to pack up and move in with another family in the church, would I be able to do that with joy or would I be filled with resentment? We have to ask ourselves these questions. It pertains to all the values. How much of my heart truly belongs to God? Do I have the drive and the desire to make time for a gathering with God's people on an everyday basis for worship and prayer? Or am I just stretching my patience in life just enough to make it to worship on Sundays? I mean, I've been in church for a long time. We've been involved in a lot of ministries, my wife and I. I mean, sometimes Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, this, that, and the other, we begin to see our schedules fill up. We tend to look at that as, man, that's a lot. Man, that's being in church a lot. We got life groups now. I'm supposed to now bring in, you know, a life group into the situation, and it begins to create a tension in our lives. And the questions as we look at the early church and the character and the things that we see in their lives, the values that are on display in their lives, we have to ask ourselves, do I exhibit the character of hospitality or am I withdrawn? Does having people over to my home feel more like a chore or a chance to bless others? You know, I can be honest. My wife and I, we've kind of struggled with this over the years, and we're growing through this, and we're thankful now that God's uh, given us a home where we are, are excited and happy to have people over. But, you know, I got to be honest. After working a, a full week of work and coming home to the busyness of four kids and all their activities, sometimes just the thought of having people over, especially for an introvert, is like, oh, man, I got to do that? I got to fit that in, you know? At times, we kind of looked for an excuse why we couldn't have people over and, and even how to avoid it, even to go out anywhere else. We're like, no, we're just going to stay home tonight. This is, we're going to feel safe. I'm going to get my hoodie-footy pajamas on and, you know, get comfortable and cozy and, and just, you know, take care of myself. But when we look at this early church and we see the record written about them, I don't think there's any one of us in this room today that could say, you can put my name right in there. I don't think we could. I don't think there's a person in here that said, you know, I'd be willing to do that, or my family could do that. All my life, all my stuff belongs to the Lord. I want to use it for his glory. All my time, all my priorities, all my efforts, I want to be God-centered and focused on my faith community. I think it'd be very difficult for every one of us in this room to make that decision. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, this is what the Word of God says. 
It says they did all of these things, and the Lord added to their fellowship daily. See, God added new converts. He added new contributors. It wasn't the same people responsible to do all the work. He continued to add people to their group because of the sacrificial love, the devotion, this intentional community that they freely committed themselves to. And the beauty of what we see in this church is that this was not a command. God's not commanding us, sell all your stuff. He's not telling us, this is not, we're not getting ready to pass an offering and say, okay, hand over the deeds to your home, right? We're not doing that. This was something they freely did out of their own hearts because of the love for their Savior and for one another. But you see, Satan, our enemy, he's done a good job at getting the workers of the harvest, the soldiers in the Lord's army, namely the church, distracted with the things of this world. You know, we talked last week about being an unrelenting witness of Jesus Christ and the importance that every one of us as followers of Christ sees ourselves as a soldier in the Lord's army, that we see ourselves as a soldier, that we have a duty and an expectation on our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, that our duty is to reach our spheres of influence no matter where we are, no matter what God's called us to vocationally, that we reach that sphere of influence with the gospel for, for Christ, but it's because we're at war with the devil and he is tr mercilessly trying to get the church to become divided, to get our focus misplaced, to get us distracted with things of the world. And in an effort to, to make our church less effective and Christians less effective in this fight against the kingdom of darkness, he gets us focused on things that, that ought not to be in the way of our relationship with Christ. And Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he said this, he said, soldiers don't get tied up in civilian affairs or the affairs of civilian life. He says, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Think about that for a minute. Let that scripture sink down into your heart. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. We know who the officer is that enlisted us as Christians. It's Jesus. And he's given us that duty and that expectation. He's given us a mission to reach the world with the gospel. But now, being 2,000 years removed from this first faith community, taking us into the modern era where we have all sorts of technology, comforts, and conveniences, compile that with the years and years and years of religious baggage of centuries past, we find ourselves now as disciples of Christ battling hard against civilian affairs. We're so distracted with this life that what we're called to be as the church kind of has taken a back seat and community is not something that easily happens in our busy, selfie-centered lives. It's something that we have to struggle against and battle. You know, Paul prophesied about the last days to the church, and I believe he was talking about the days we're living in now in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there'll be very difficult times. For people will only love themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. They will be ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends. They'll be reckless, be puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. 
you know, I love to study the end times and, and end time events and look at the book of Revelation and see what pictures and what signs God has given us to kind of kind of point to the return of Christ. But this week as I was looking at this scripture, it just kind of stuck in my heart a little bit differently. You see, as I began to think about this passage of scripture and what Paul is telling Timothy, and I present it to you, I would say if you're honest today and you think about the description here in light of the description we see of the early church in Acts chapter 2. The question I had to ask myself and I ask you today is which one do you see more aptly describe the church today? Which description do you see more aptly describe the modern church? Do you see more selfless and selflessness and sacrifice in the church or selfishness and hoarding? Do you see more humility or more pride? Do you see more disobedience and ungratefulness or obedience and gratitude? Do you see more love and forgiveness or bitterness and unforgiveness? Do you see a respect of sacred things like marriage and morality or a disregard of sacred things? Do you see edification and self-control or slander and no self-control? Do you see kindness and love for correction or hatred of what is good, cruelty and foolishness? Do you see loyalty and trust or gossip and betrayal? Do you see people who love God with all of their heart or those who love pleasure more than they love God? Do you see authentic, spirit-filled people who walk in the power of God? Or do you see religious people that pretend they have it all together and deny they're missing anything in the relationship with the Lord? You know, I'm sad to say it. But in this day and age, I believe many soldiers of Christ have gotten lost in civilian affairs. And see, Jesus compared it to losing our first love in the book of Revelation as he's speaking to the Ephesians. But as I look at the church and I look at what we see in the Bible as a description of the true church of Christ that was unleashed after Jesus rose from death, the power of the Spirit filled that place. And we saw miracles, signs, and wonders, and the love that poured out from these people. I don't see that as much today as what we see back then. Now, I believe in order to get back to where we started as the church, to get back to even a resemblance of this early church, that it's going to take intentional community. It's going to take us each being intentional in the way we love one another. One of the things I noticed in this passage in Acts is specifically about the sharing of meals. Now, I know church people like their potlucks. Can I get an amen? Anyone want to throw an amen out there? We like to eat. I know we like to eat. We, we come up, you know, with reasons to get together just to eat. You know, this is like what we like to do. But I see something different about their meals and our meals. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says this. It says, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. See, not only did this church eat together, but it was a time of great encouragement as they intentionally used that time to worship the Lord. It wasn't just a time to stuff their bellies and have a good laugh, but it was a time to focus on God, his goodness, his blessings, his sacrifice, his resurrection, who we are in Christ, what we have been given in Christ. They used it as a time to give God praise. See, one of the things I think as a church we've gotten away from is being intentional about our thanksgiving to the Lord. I also believe that culturally, one of the things we've gotten away from 
in a couple articles I read this week called it a lost art in our society, is the art of hospitality. I think it has something to do with how casual we've become in many aspects of our life, or it seems like our civilization is becoming even more and more casual. But I think we've kind of gotten away from this idea of hospitality. Now, when I was young, um, my parents were in ministry, and so often we would get invited over to other people's houses for, for a meal, and we also would have lots of people over to our house. I can remember when we were young, it wasn't just kind of a casual get-together. It was a time to, like, put on the nines, so to speak. If we were going to have people over, it was like, you're going to clean the house. It's going to be spotless from top to bottom, left and right. I mean, there's not going to be an inch of dust on the house. I remember my mom freaking out one time about having some people over. She even made sure the top of the fridge was dusted because she didn't want anybody to like check up there, right? It was just like, we're going to spot shot this house. It was going to be clean. And then for the dinner, uh, we, we threw out the spotless white tablecloth that we hardly ever saw. The fine china came out, all the nice dishes, all the things that I was told I wasn't allowed to touch when I was a kid. You know, all of these things, we would bring it out. The meal would be like the most fantastic course. It'll have an appetizer, a main course, and a dessert. And the dessert is something that we saw on rare occasion. But it, it was like we would pull out all the stops for people to come over. And vice versa, when we would go over to other people's houses, it seemed to be like that's what they would have for us. It was an ordeal to have people over. It was like the red carpet, so to speak. I mean, 99% of the year, it was crockpot meals and disposable silverware. But when we had people over, it was a time to shine. And it was a time to pull out all the stops. And uh, not only that, that even if we weren't having people over for dinner, I remember my parents teaching me that when I was to have a friend over and they were to be my guest, that I would have to let them do what they wanted to do that I would have to like placate to their desires and their needs. My parents instilled in me at a young age that you treat your guests with honor, that you placate to them, that, that while the guests are in the home, it's not a time to be selfish or just assume that they can just do the things the way your family does them. Because the goal of hospitality is to remove discomfort from your guests so that they can have a positive and positively memorable experience. It's to bless them. But nowadays, it seems as though much of that care and consideration has kind of been lost on, on this generation. We've become so informal that sometimes we don't even pick up the house for the guests to arrive. Have you ever heard of the lived-in look? Right? We call it the lived-in look. Why? Because we just, all right, they're coming over. It is what it is. I mean, come on. You know, this is just how it is. Not only do we not prepare a home the way we used to, but the meals also have become more casually thrown together, as if pizza and paper plates were now a choice of fine dining. I mean, it just seems like, you know, that's kind of more of the uh, same that we see. And I get it that there are more casual encounters than there are fancy dinners often, usually those reserved for holidays and, and those special get-togethers. But I remember growing up, we had several just-because times where we would entertain people and, and be hospitable. And that made an impression on me. It made it a huge impression. And I couldn't wait to graduate from the kids' table to the adult table. Anybody remember that? Like, like when you're at the kids' table, it's like, oh, kids are meant to be seen and not heard. And all the action was at the adult table. And I couldn't wait to graduate to the adult table because then I felt like, okay, then I'd be respected. I, you know, I could be, you know, considered to be part of the group. But nowadays, it's like we lower the adult table down to the kids' table. And we've forgotten that part of being hospitable is the sacrifice of treating your guests well. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, Paul says this to the church of Rome. He says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them and always be eager to practice hospitality. He says, always be eager, be ready, be excited to, be in a state of mind where you're prepared to be hospitable. You know, have your stuff in order so that you can be hospitable when the time comes. That term hospitality literally means in the Greek language, in that original language the Bible is written, to entertain strangers. It means anytime someone could drop by. So be eager, be ready to entertain them. And according to the dictionary, it says uh, hospitable means to be friendly and welcoming to guests or strangers. I believe here Paul is telling the Roman church that as we are you know, living our lives, we need to not live it in such a way that we forget about being hospitable, about being entertainers, about blessing other people. We're to always be ready to be hospitable to everyone. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, the writer of Hebrews even says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels completely unaware. That God very, very well may send an angel to your home to be entertained as a way to test you. And by your eagerness to be hospitable, your readiness to be hospitable, you very well may initiate a blessing into your life. But if we're not eager, if we're not ready, if we don't have this mindset that, okay, I'm in a state where I'm going to keep my life in such a way where I can bless other people, we may forego a blessing God intended for us to have because we're not ready to answer the door. Oh, this isn't a good time. Come back in three weeks from Sunday. See, it's important that we have a hospitable mindset, not only for strangers, but also for our fellow church members. We need to remember to read our brother, treat our brothers and sisters in Christ with the same care and consideration we would treat a total stranger in our home. A guest is a guest, whether we know them or not. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 in the King James, it says this, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. In the New Living Translation, it translates it this way. It says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Honor is the goal of hospitality. And the idea is that the way we honor each other is through putting the other person's needs and preferences in front of our own. The goal of hospitality is to remove all hindrances that you can that get in the way from the guests feeling blessed. That's why here at Vertical Life Church, we desire through our hospitality team in our, in our, in our uh, VIP table or, or cafe, our greeters, that we provide our guests a VIP experience. We want hospitality to be uh, par none. We want them to have an incredible experience. And this takes intentionality in our hospitality. And the same should be true for us as Christians in our homes, that when we entertain in our homes, we need to have the guests in mind. What will make the greatest impact on them? You know, one time Tony and I were invited over uh, to you know, a couple's house uh, for dinner. And again, you know, in ministry, this is kind of thing that happens kind of often. And so, you know, sometimes we're like, I wonder what's on the menu. And so you kind of have to, you know, prepare yourself for, for just about anything. But uh, this time they're like, hey, we want to have you over for uh, burgers on the grill. And so I'm like, okay, I can do that. Burgers on the grill. Let's do that. And I get some cheese, some pickles, ketchup, you know, whole, whole nine. You know, it's one of my favorite meals. And, and so we didn't have any surprises. And I can't remember if we have kids there or not, but like, okay, we're not going to have any issues with the kids, like turning their nose up to anything on, on the table. Cause who, who doesn't like burgers on the grill? 
So we get there, and we're hanging out, and they're like, the food's ready, and they prepare the table, and we go out, you know, outside to hang out, and we sit down, and we're looking around for the buns, and we couldn't find any buns on the table. So we're thinking, oh, maybe they left them in the house, no big deal. And, and so they saw us kind of looking around, and they're like, why, why are you looking around? And we're like, well, we're looking for the buns. What we didn't know is that the spouse, one of the spouses had a food allergy. They were gluten intolerant, so they didn't eat bread. And so they didn't have any buns. And so we were then sitting there like, okay, we're about ready to knife and fork a, a backyard burger on the grill. I mean, this is, you know, it was kind of awkward. We laughed about it. And it was kind of funny. But at the end of the day, even though it was a small oversight, my wife and I kind of felt left out of the equation. We kind of felt left out. So even though they had us over to bless us, it wasn't really us that they had in mind. It was themselves. Because they only thought about how they did things, what they needed. They didn't for once consider, well, maybe we ate bread and they should have bread there for their guests. And so it's easy for us to make these little oversights if we're not being intentional in our hospitality. And, uh, and just an FYI, as someone that grew up as a minister's kid, when you, when you are preparing meals for other people, if the entree you're going to prepare or the dish you're going to prepare took you a time to acquire a taste for it, it's probably not something you want to present to a guest for the first time. You know, it's not going to be the knockout of the park that you necessarily want. It's going to be the talk of the town, but not the talk that you want it to be, right? So if you had to acquire a taste for it, don't, don't provide that, because honestly, there are only so many no thank you helpings a, a pastor's kid can, can stand. You know, we were taught that, you know, it doesn't matter if it looks like they just killed it five minutes ago. You, you take a little serving of that and you try it, you know. So, you know, whenever um, you, you're, uh, you're there and you're with, um, you know, people who've invited you over, you kind of tell your kids, you know, just sit, take a little bit and try it and talk about it later, you know. So um, just an FYI there. But hospitality is an important thing. And it extends beyond our dinner table. Hospitality extends to every facet of our lives, and if as Christians, as followers of Christ, if we're going to live this value of intentional community out in our everyday lives, then we need to begin to analyze the areas in our lives where we've not been hospitable. And this can even go into the realm of kindness and friendliness. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul to the church of Galatia says this. He says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. We should always have a mindset of always, how can we do good to others? And especially, how can we bless our Christian brothers and sisters? How can we encourage them? You know, sometimes we treat our Christian family much like we treat our own family. You know, when we have friends over, we tend to treat our friends better than we would treat our own family. And at times, we can treat uh, people who are outside of the church, who have no relationship with God, much better than we treat our own brothers and sisters in Christ. But Paul here is encouraging us to remember not to forget our brothers and sisters, not to forget our faith family. We should always be looking for ways to bless them. And the truth is that when it comes to the church, our church, other churches, big church, you have, what have you, when it comes to the church, the quality of our fellowship together in this community will determine the connection and potential growth of our community. The quality of our fellowship in this community will determine the connection and potential growth of this community. 
What I mean by that is if we're not treating each other hospitably, if we're not finding ways to bless each other, if we're not working hard to encourage one another and to love each other and to be sacrificial, it's going to limit others from the outside to feel welcome and encouraged and comforted on the inside. The fellowship of this community often hinges on hospitality. And guess who come, they say, studies show, will determine within the first few minutes of arriving to your church whether or not, or what kind of church this is. In the last few minutes of your service, they'll determine whether or not they're going to return. That's how vital hospitality and intentional community and our love for one another is to those who are even outside the church. Within the first few minutes, they decide what kind of people you are. In the last few minutes, they decide if they will ever return. Hospitality can simply boil down to whether or not we are approachable and whether or not we approach others whether we're approachable, and whether or not we approach others when we gather for worship. See, the early church, they devoted themselves to these values, which means each of them had to take it upon themselves to contribute to the fellowship. And because each of them contributed, it said in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. Everyone participated, everyone contributed, therefore everyone enjoyed the goodwill. And I know that's what we want as a church. We want to enjoy the goodwill of everyone. We want to enjoy the goodwill of all the people, but it doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality. And I know that sometimes it's easy to get upset at little things. I've talked to people who have gotten upset at little things such as someone didn't say hi to me at church. Why why are you mad? Why haven't you been to service? Well, so-and-so didn't say hi to me. And so I'm having this conversation with them. I'm like, okay, well, did you say hi to them? And they're like, well, no. And I'm like, hmm, well... If you didn't say hi to them, isn't it a little hypocritical for you to get mad at them for not saying hi to you? You know, and so we don't often think through these little interactions, but, you know, if we're looking at this realistically, we can't get mad at someone else for not saying hi if we ourselves didn't say hi. If the person that got mad would have just been hospitable themselves and went up and said hi, they wouldn't have even known there was a problem. They wouldn't even known there was an issue. So the way to have intentional community, especially when we gather together, the way to enjoy the goodwill of all the people when we gather as a church is that each of us have to take personal responsibility for our own connectedness to the church. Each of us must contribute. Don't wait for someone to say hi to you. Go say hi to them. Don't wait for someone to introduce themselves to you. Go introduce yourself to them. Don't wait about someone approaching you about getting involved in a ministry. Ask how you can yourself get involved. If you see a need, don't wait for someone to, you know, call on people to meet the need. Take it upon yourself to go meet the need. And if the need is yours personally, please say something. Don't expect the church to have ESP and just know that you have a problem. Come talk to us. We're here. That's, that's why you have leaders. We want to help. So come speak to us. Many of the petty things we face in the church, many of the things Satan causes uh, dysfunction and, and causes distraction and division and breaks our fellowship and our unity, many of those things could be solved if the person with the problem would just take the initiative to solve the problem. And many times it just takes a little conversation. That's all it takes. Each of us have to be devoted to this thing, not marginally, but completely. We have to prefer one another and make each other have the best experience that we can. 
We can't be so focused on our own experience that we lose sight of helping someone else have a positive experience. So today, if you're not feeling connected, approach your leadership team about heading up something that you enjoy. Maybe you want to start a group. Talked about life groups today. Maybe you like, you know, doing crafts and you'd like to get a craft group together. Well, come talk to us. We'll help you organize one. And you can get connected and help others who enjoy the same thing to get connected. If you've never been in a life group, and that's a small group where you meet in someone's home for prayer and a Bible study and just a, a time to get together and encourage one another. If you've never been a part of one of our life groups, before you leave today, register. Sign up. Put on your connection card. I want to be a part of a life group. We'll get you connected to a life group. Maybe you get uncomfortable about having to go to someone else's home, but you don't mind having people come over and you'd like to host a life group. We'll come talk to us. We'll, we'll help you schedule one at your home. You know, there's lots of things that we can do. But we can't, as the church, as followers of Christ, expect other people to do the work for us. We can't expect other people to come to us. You need to contribute. And I know doing new things can be difficult for an extrovert, but they're exceptionally difficult for an introvert. I know I am one. But God knows our personalities, and he has rightly fit you in this church for a reason. And his intention for you is not to be isolated and to be alone. It's to be built up and be encouraged. And the way to do that is through intentional community. It's through us coming together as a faith family and loving one another and serving one another. And the faith community that we have here is built on fellowship where everyone contributes and everyone is encouraged. And to live this out in our culture in this time, in this modern era, it's going to take intentionality. And I believe if we walk in this value of intentional community, preferring one another in hospitality, and people see how we love one another and take care of one another and encourage each other, then other people are going to want to be a part of that. They're going to want to join. And this goodwill is going to be experienced among us and will naturally filter out to the community around us. My prayer today is that the same thing that was said about the early church in Acts chapter 2 would be said of us. And that is the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Because ultimately, that's what it's about. It's about the gospel. It's about making Jesus famous. It's about demonstrating his love in this world to those who are far from God. It's not about having a big church or being the most popular place to be on a Sunday morning. It's about God having encounters with people who desperately need him. And we can in introduce people to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ if we would just love one another, serve each other, and unite together in intentional community. Let's bow our heads for prayer in this place. As the worship team comes to play, we're just going to go into a time of prayer. And maybe you're here today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, just in the quietness of this moment. Maybe you're here today. And maybe you've attended church a few times. Maybe you've maybe had parents who were religious, they were affiliated with a certain denomination, but there's never been a time in your life where you said, you know what, I really feel like this is a part of who I am. I really feel connected to this thing. Maybe today you recognize that you've never truly trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, church is less about having your name on a roll, on a piece of paper, and it's more about having your name written in heaven. It's less about looking good on the outside, and it's more about 
having a relationship with Jesus Christ and allowing him to transform your life. It's less about religious rules and participation, and it's just about that relationship. To know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know the creator of the universe. And that you know your sins are forgiven. All the things, all the baggage that we carry, all the mistakes and problems that we make, all the things that cause depression and anxiety and dysfunction in our lives, all the things we wrestle against, the things that make us question our value and our worth and what the meaning of life is, all these things that we get caught up in, all of that can be forgiven. All the things you've been beating yourself up about, all the things that have just created a heavy weight in your soul, all of that can be let go. Jesus said, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. The Lord said in the word of God that if you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. How awesome is that to know that the creator of the universe, the righteous judge who is perfect in every way, who will judge sin, who will pour his wrath out on all those who, who die in their sins that are lost in disobedience, looks at you right now in this moment and says, you know what? I want you. I want to forgive you. I want to hold you. I want to put hope in your heart. I want to put joy in your spirit. I want to help you with that addiction. I want to help you with that broken relationship. I have a pathway to blessing for your life. I have a pathway to make all things new. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you go to the Father through me. You go to restoration, reconciliation. Everything that's broken in this life is made new in Christ. Through a relationship with Jesus, all things that are old are passed away, and you become a new creation. You're not identified with your past. And you come alive with the power to live, to become the person God created you to be. Right here in this moment, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never confessed your sins to God and said, God, I'm done trying to lead my own life. I'm trying to live my life according to my plan I've messed a lot of things up, God. Forgive me and save me. Be my Lord and Savior. Then right here in this quietness of this moment, I'm going to invite you to just pray with me. And the Word of God says, when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become his child. And when you become his child, you become part of the church. You become part of the church because he sends his Holy Spirit to live within you, to make you that new creation, to make all things that were old pass away and give you hope for another tomorrow, for a second chance, for a new start. And maybe you're here today and that's just what you need is a new start. You can have that right now by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So right where you are, just pray this with me. You can just repeat this right in the quietness of this moment from your seat. Just say, Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. I've messed a lot of things up. I've made my share of mistakes. 
and I ask you to forgive me from everything I know I did and the things I don't even know I did. But I trust that your love is great enough to cover it all. I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I put my faith in his death and his resurrection. And I commit my life to you now and forever. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. I just want to pray for those that prayed that prayer today. If you prayed that today and you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are so encouraged. This is what we live for. We live to see people begin a relationship with Christ. So if you prayed that prayer, I'm not going to call you out. I'd just like to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, I prayed that today. I prayed that prayer today in this place. And Father God, I pray for the church today. And I pray for those that are here, those that prayed the prayer. And I just pray, Father, that your amazing love would wash over them. Even those that maybe prayed and were just afraid to acknowledge that by raising your hand, God, I just pray that you would wash over them now in the name of Jesus as your Holy Spirit begins to take root in their heart. And God, I just pray in this moment that they would recognize how deeply loved they are by the creator of the universe. That they would know that their sins are forgiven. That they are now a new creation in Christ. That they're now a part of the church because they're part of the family of God. That they're adopted by the King of kings and the Lord of lords never again to be cast away. And I pray for the church here today, God, that's just struggling day by day to live for you. I pray, God, as each of us take an account to our lives, this value of intentional community, about how hospitable we are, in our relationships, and our engagements with strangers, and the openness to our homes, to our possessiveness of our stuff, God, that today we would just choose, you know what, God? I'm all yours. My whole life is yours. All that I have is yours. My time, my energy, my talent, my treasure, my home, my car, my groceries, my fine china, and my plastic forks that whatever God you need, that is yours. And I dedicate myself today to use it for your honor and glory. And I pray, God, that we would be a church that would have true fellowship, that when we get together, it would not be just to have a laugh and to fill our bellies, but it'd be to encourage one another, to serve each other, and to glorify you at the same time, that we would make your name famous in the community by people seeing how much we love one another because your love is so evident in our lives. We pray for unity in the church. And we pray, God, that you would use us to be a light in this community. The people who are struggling, the people who are in need, the people who are in a, that need help, God, that you would use us Raise us up. Give us the resources and the finances and the energy and the time that we need to meet those needs because we know the harvest is great. So as we bring this service to a close, Lord, I just pray your blessings would be on this church, on our people that are away and those here under the sound of my voice. 
pray a blessing on them now in the name of Jesus. Amen.